Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Jill Harding, and you're listening to I've Got a Feeling, the podcast where we discuss what grounds us, what makes us feel alive, what fuels our hearts, and ultimately what brings us each to flourishing. On this podcast, I have conversations with friends I've known for ages, people I've only just met, and people who inspire me by how they demonstrate flourishing, at least from my vantage point. The guests on this show are from a wide variety of backgrounds, belief systems, and life experiences, and I hope that from these interviews, you gain a sense of the breadth of unique examples of what flourishing can look like, and take these ideas as inspiration to discover how you might create wellness and flourishing in your own life. Hi, everyone. Welcome to my very first episode of I've Got a Feeling podcast. Um, Today's episode, my very first one, it's a little bit of an experiment. I sat down with my guest actually as a bit of a technology tester. I asked my friend if she would be willing to do a practice interview with me to just help me get used to the idea and get used to the equipment. And we ended up having a beautiful and topical discussion, and we decided that it was worth sharing. So please join me in welcoming my first guest, Emily Huff. She is a third grade teacher in St. Louis, someone that has very much focused on the flourishing of her students, although we don't talk about that very much in the interview, if at all. I don't think at all. But um, Emily was one of my building mates when I moved into my first solo apartment in St. Louis about six years ago, just over six years ago. And our friendship developed quickly, but also in a way that definitely encouraged us both to grow in health, in wellness, in self-care, and in all the ways that you hope to have a friend help you grow. Um, I have seen Emily demonstrate a commitment to healing, a healing process that has not been an easy journey. It's been hard one, but she has demonstrated a commitment to that in such a way that you can just tell that she wants to bring her best self to the world. She's taught me a lot about what flourishing looks like in different areas and As you'll hear in the interview, she wouldn't even necessarily call the place she's reached so far to be flourishing, but I don't think that flourishing is a destination, it's a journey, and she has been on that journey for a while. So I was really encouraged by our conversation. I think that she was too, and I hope that you get something out of it as well. So welcome to the podcast, Emily Huff. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I am excited to test out this equipment with you. (laughs) And, you know, maybe make this a an episode of my podcast. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. (laughs) Um as you know, on our podcast we're talking about flourishing and there's a variety of ways this conversation could go, but I'd just like to get a sense from you about your own flourishing. And I feel like there's a lot of ways I've seen you move towards flourishing in your life since I've known you. And I'm anxious to talk about that. Um, but yeah, maybe give me an idea of what life looks like for you right now. Yeah. Well, um, it looks a lot different than it did six years ago, seven years ago when we met. And um, I would say that it has been a, my own journey of like trying to figure out um, what makes me feel kind of grounded or connected to myself. Um, There was a lot of stuff I had to get out of the way before I could even kind of see a path forward. Like, Mm. oh, this might be what it feels like to enjoy life or feel full again. And so I think the first few years of us knowing each other, I was very guarded. I was very, um, very focused on if I was doing the right things to be the right person for the right 
person mm-hmm. like who I was with, who I was with depended on like who I was and I think over the years I've learned that I am just I am me and I can be that same person no matter who I'm with um and so I think for some people that only met me when I moved to St. Louis and then have been friends with me for the last seven years I, I feel like it's possible that I might look like a completely different person than I did like emotionally um, those years ago. So I think right now my my connection to my own wellness is about authenticity and being mm-hmm. um, real with whatever phase I'm in. So whether that's really doing deep work on being honest with myself or if it's doing deep work on boundaries and figuring out how to keep people close when all I want to do is hibernate or push people away. Um, it's interesting to, to think about this question because as I'm talking, I'm realizing, wow, there's just like a lot of different facets to what it means to be well mm-hmm. or like what that would look like. And what it has looked like. Well, I'm curious too, you know, presumably, you know, we have no listeners yet, but yes. we may have a listener. <laughs> yes. And um, tell tell our listeners a little bit about what, not necessarily like life details, but what you were coming out of relationally or emotionally that made you feel like you needed to seek wellness. Mm. That's a good question. Yeah, I was coming out of a very, I, I, this word is so overused, but it was, it is very accurate, a very toxic relationship. Um, I was married for three years and, um, it was, it was not a good situation. I completely lost myself, had no idea who I was. Um, and so when I moved here, I was, what was that like? four years post-divorce and um, still pretty numb. I think I just was numb to almost everything and just going through the motions, getting up, mm-hmm. going to my job, like trying to make friends, but nothing felt really solid. Mm-hmm. Everything felt really like touch and go. Like, I don't know, that's, that, that's how I describe it to my therapist is that like back then nothing felt solid. And so there was this desire to feel more. Like I would see other people and I would think, man, their lives look really full and they, we might not have a lot of similarities, but gosh, we're the same age or we're in the same career. Like I would have these connections with people and think, how, how is theirs so like robust and full and mine feels really light and airy? And even saying that, it's like that, I don't know that that would connect to anybody that would be listening, but I, my goal was to just have something more concrete. I had felt so evaporated from the world that I was living in and just like this flaky thing floating around that um, my first thought of being well and whole and healthy was like, I just got to get my feet on the ground. I just have to like dig into something that's real And turns out that had to start with like me realizing what that meant to me, like for me to be real to myself. Was that an outworking you think of, you know, a relationship you describe as toxic? Like what that says to me is you lose a lot of yourself in those Mm -hmm. environments. So that evaporated feeling is, you know, where am I? Where's the me that I know? Mm -hmm. So is this like robustness or this grounded concreteness, like a knowledge of self or is it um, some kind of a grounding that you can reach for other things? Tell me more about what that means for you. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I knew who I was as a kid Mm. and I knew who I was as a teenager And I lost that person when I entered into that relationship in college. Mm. So for me, it kind of went both ways because there was a part of me that felt like my childhood up through college was under like this crystal dome that was never going to be touched. Like it was perfect and I just wanted it to stay that way. 
Um, which of course it wasn't, but <laughs> that was like uh, the naivete in my mind. Like this is, I'm not going to touch this part of my life because it was great. But then that was where I was feeling connected. Like I didn't feel like I knew who I was unless I went back that far. And I would see videos of myself at seven, eight, nine years old. And I would be like, I know her. Mm. I know her. Or I would see pictures on Facebook of, you know, my my graduating class in 20, oh, 2003, almost 20 years ago. Oh, my God. Um, but I would see photos of myself and my friends, and I would be like, I know her. And so it, that created a problem because it was like this thing that I didn't want to touch, but yet it was the only thing of myself that I knew. Yeah. So thank God for good therapists, right? Mm-hmm. Because I was able to... Um, work through a lot of that and almost just kind of backtrack and realize like oh there's really no part of our lives that should be under this like untouchable dome like if we're talking about wellness and the wholeness of self then you like really have to look at the whole self yeah um and so for me that meant going back and revisiting some things that I thought were perfect and kind of uncovering the veil, you know, rose-colored glasses. It was like, you know, that was me to a T looking back at it. And while I was very fortunate to grow up with a fantastic childhood, nothing is perfect, Mm -hmm. and actually finding those imperfections um, in that time that I felt like I really knew who I was is actually what gave gave me traction when I started to go back there and look at it. Like, oh, this is grittier than I thought. It's not perfect and shiny and new. And like, there's things I can grab onto here and take with me as I'm learning about like how to be the adult Emily, not the 15-year-old or the 8-year-old. What did that tell you about yourself? Like finding those gritty pieces, what awareness did that give you? Or what what did you bring with you then of Mm -hmm. that? I don't know if that's too complicated of a question. No, I think I understand what you're saying. Like, for me, it was, and and this is like so interesting. This like this question format because there are things that I haven't reflected on recently. But what I mean when I say like the gritty parts, it the things about myself that I grew up thinking maybe weren't acceptable. Hmm. So my just kind of outward crazy. Like I was very boisterous and like just a total goof when I was a kid. And um, that side of me was nurtured. Hmm. Um, But the other side of that, I had a big personality, which meant I had big opinions, which meant I had big pushback. And I grew up in a home where that wasn't allowed. So the goofy, funny side of me was embraced while the um, argumentative or the challenging side was immediately shut down. So I didn't have access to that part of who I was. Like I, I had learned at a really early age that, well, if I don't want to rock the boat, I got to keep the peace. I can't disagree. I can't be disrespectful. Um, and any form of disagreement equal disrespect, Mm -hmm. um, you know, in your, in your typical white Christian household, mm-hmm. um, just, you know, and I think, um, it was even harder for me to see that some of that was the grittier pieces because I always felt like, oh, my childhood was so great and I don't have any reason to complain. It's not so much about complaining as it is realizing that like, oh, actually I want to take that argumentative side with me into adulthood or I want to take that challenging like to make things my own Mm -hmm. so that it's not just like somebody tells me something and I'm like oh I guess that's true forever bye Mm -hmm. and never like think about it as my own thing and so I think that's what I think of when I think of like the the pieces that were not as smooth the rougher pieces were easier to kind of grab onto when I was doing the work of going back to that childhood Emily And figuring out, oh, those pieces are still a part of me. They're just way, way deep somewhere. Yeah. So like reaching, reaching back and reaching within to reclaim characteristics that you had put away. Yeah. And the challenging part of that was 
that they were characteristics that I thought and were the risk of losing relationship was very real when I was younger. Relationships mean everything to me. So if I was, as a nine-year-old, told that something was the truth and I could not speak back to that with my own opinion at all, I couldn't even have a different facial expression than what my parent wanted, that was really terrifying to think of, well, what if I have an expression on my face now that my friends don't like? Or as when I was in my marriage, that was just reinforced even more. Hmm. Like, you better not disagree. You better not have a bad attitude. That's not being a Christian wife. That's not being submissive, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and so, yeah, like like finding those pieces of me felt dangerous. And... Um, yeah, I think that's why it took a long time. And I'm still learning how to do that. Like sometimes yeah. it does really seem dangerous when I have an opinion of my own that maybe not everybody in my circle shares. Well, that's what I was going to ask is what does it feel like to then move towards those things over time, it sounds like, over the last few years? Mm-hmm. What does it feel like to make those steps one yeah. by one? Um pretty fucking great (laughs) (laughs) empowering um yeah yeah I think it feels um true Hmm. it feels like I'm honoring that child that um was so quiet and tried to be so good all the time and in the same breath it feels really risky (laughs) but but I think one of the things that that I love from therapy is that there's risk with everything and I was really living in risk back then and so this is still just risk and that's okay like I can survive it so if it feels risky to be myself hoping that the people around me will still love me that's no worse than feeling the risk of like as a child being like well I've got to keep everything I've got to have my ducks in a row. I've got to be super obedient so that I don't lose the relationship. Just as an adult, I feel like I can take on that risk a little bit more. Mm. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's kind of what it comes out to in my mind. Well, I think part of what I hear in that, too, is you're saying that, like, now you have some kind of resource within you that, Mm -hmm. like that's a risk worth taking for you to maintain who you are versus as a kid, it was a risk maybe that you wouldn't have known if it was worth it or not. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, and I kind of think too, that if the work had not been done up to this point, Like, I could not have jumped in four years ago and been like, let's talk about the risk that it is being myself. Like, there were so many layers around that that I had to get through first. But I do, I find myself reacting like I did as a kid in the sense that like, yeah, this might be dangerous. Let's do it. That's fine. Like, what's the worst that can happen? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm a human being and I make mistakes. If this is a big mistake, I'll figure it out. Mm -hmm. And... That's new to me in my 30s. Like, I did not have that at all in my 20s, at all. And so it's a really interesting way to now connect to my younger self is in that risk type, like taking risks. But now it feels like taking risks for, like, the things that matter, not like, should we go off-roading in our mom's van, like, after midnight right kind of risk, you know? Like, um, yeah. Um, Hope you knew about that. She did. Yeah. It was my aunt's van. Anyway. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah, risk for a better purpose. Yeah. A, a lasting purpose. A lasting Something purpose. that that is just built into myself it's Mm. it's like taking a risk on yourself which Mm -hmm. sounds kind of corny but it really sometimes I think that's the scariest thing is being like well I'm just gonna do this and hope you like it and then know that not everybody's gonna like it not everybody's gonna like you and um and I've lost some friends along the way and that's painful but I'm okay with it because it was risky 
to dig into my past and it was risky to take off the band-aid and just really like figure out those wounds that were there so thinking about the all this work you've done toward wellness Mm -hmm. toward finding that concrete and reaching back into that perfect domed place Mm -hmm. and figuring out what to bring with you it sounds like you've done a lot of work toward building flourishing for yourself Mm -hmm. and I don't know if that's how you would describe it but I wonder if you could think about and tell us a bit about ways that you feel like you really have started to discover or create flourishing Mm -hmm. in your current life and I, I might re-ask this later, but part of that for me that I'm wondering is what are some of the specific steps you've taken to build, like choices you've mm-hmm. made mm. to move towards flourishing? Yeah. Because that's a decision, you know, that yeah. doesn't happen by accident. Right. Yeah. As I sit here, I think I am still on the journey of finding what it really means for me to flourish I don't feel like I necessarily am flourishing, (laughs) but I think maybe as I reflect on it, like that answer might even change. But I think I know the the steps that I've taken um, because that's where I want to get. I just still feel like I'm in the middle of a lot of that work. But I think one of the the biggest, I don't think, I know, (laughs) like the biggest thing for me was learning about how to have appropriate boundaries Mm. in every area of my life. Mm. When you met me, I like pretty much had no boundaries. (laughs) She's nodding her head. (laughs) Like I I didn't know how to say no. I was a major people pleaser. Uh, If you're, you know, into the Enneagram, I was convinced I was a two. I'm a four, by the way. (laughs) Um, No surprise to anybody that knows me. But anyway, I, I just... I thought I was one I thought I was this one person when really in reality that that was the protection that I had built around myself. Um, there were certain things in my life that meant everything to me and at the detriment to myself, I would put those things before anything else. Um, truly believing that I was like doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. I really did think the people that said, well, I you know I can't be a good wife unless I'm you know a good, I don't know, what's, what do people say? Like, unless I'm good to myself first, I can't be good for others. Or I used to honestly think that was just a bunch of shit and feeling like, well, no, you've got to put others first. That's not the, that's not the Christian way, you know, especially as a woman, um, we're supposed to put everybody else first. And I think that, um, again, I mean, it happened because of therapy, but just learning that like, oh, actually, not only am I not helping other people when I'm not at a in a good place um i'm consistently doing damage to myself <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's like very it defeats the very purpose of what i'm trying to do which is help people and like live a good life but i think that um that started very small in saying no to people that i knew i could trust to say no to um it started with being able to say no when a family member would ask me to do something Mm. and I would be able to share with them, I really want to spend time with you right now, but I also haven't slept in four days Mm. (laughs) and I can't, I can't have a long visit tonight or like whatever. And, um, I, I'm so thankful for the reaction that my family had because it's not the reaction that everybody's family would have, but they were incredibly supportive and incredibly like, um, yeah, you you take care of yourself. You do what you need to do. Um, Which probably made that scary thing instantly feel like you would try it again. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that feedback that I got taught me <laughs> that like, oh, I can do something for myself and like not wipe out the friendship that's been here for 35 years. Um, and... I think that that was 
then that bled into saying no to my friends and learning alongside that that I cannot control what other people think or feel and that disappointing someone is okay and saying no to something that I want to do is sometimes what's best Mm. so I I will say even now like sometimes that's still hard for me to find that balance of like because the voice inside my head is always like and especially back then when I was learning this like yes but you have to make sacrifices to have the kind of you know relationship that you want and um but I think at, at that time a couple of years ago it was just I had absolutely no boundaries so to even think of putting up one was huge and then it just snowballed because it felt so good mm. <laughs> to like finally be able to say no um, what did it, it was feel like, like oh my gosh it was like this total freedom I felt like and it was only in certain areas of my life I it wasn't across the board but in certain areas of my life all of a sudden I felt um much safer I felt like wow I can tell this person when I'm not up to hanging out and it's going to be okay and they're not going to shun me for not being at their every beck and call. Which calls back to that fear you were talking about. Of if losing, I have needs, yeah. will I lose these relationships? Right. right. And so then it just started to kind of spill over into other relationships, my friendships. There are still today a couple of friendships that I don't like to say no to. Um, but that says more about my particular the space that I'm in with that person um, may it may not be a super healthy space. Mm. It says more about that than it does about my awareness of of needing to have more boundaries. But that was definitely like that's the number one thing <laughs> that helped me on the road to flourishing and just being whole again. And then another thing was giving up something <laughs> that had been part of my identity for a long time, and that's photography. I was good at photography. I have a creative eye. I like that sort of thing. I had received praise for it, so it was one area of my life that I felt like, okay, well, I might, I might not be good in a lot of things, but at least I'm good at this kind of thing. But it was causing so much stress for a variety of reasons. And when I finally realized that this is taking away goodness instead of like giving goodness, I felt like I was going to disappoint a lot of people if I didn't want to do photography anymore, um, which turned out not to be the case. But um, it just took a really long time for me to feel comfortable saying, I'm not doing that right now. Mm. You know, it was really hard. Like, when that family that had been with me for six years came for fall sessions and I had to say, you know, I'm not doing photography anymore. Um, But it it allowed me to not only practice that, like, boundary for Mm -hmm. myself. I mean, there was nobody else. I was working for myself. It wasn't, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, but but, But just being able to free up time in my own schedule to fill it with other things that were bringing me joy, like reading. You know, I got back into reading in our book club. And <laughs> I mean, that's just been delightful. And, and so I think both learning how to set boundaries and then rearranging my own priorities so that the things that I actually wanted for myself were at the top mm. instead of all of the things that I thought people would want me to care about mm-hmm. and putting everything else at the bottom. Um, at the base of flourishing, though, isn't that truly what it's made up of? Like yeah. that idea that we're prioritizing what is most meaningful to us, that feeds us, yeah. that that helps us to feel the most alive and to feel mm. the most grounded and connected to ourselves. Yeah. And that's something, you know, being the first person I'm talking to, like, that is something that I want to set out to, to 
show with each yeah. of these interviews is I think there's a misconception out there that what flourishing looks like can be sort of standardized. Yeah. And what I see in all the people that I will interview who I've chosen specifically <laughs> is it looks very different mm. for you versus even the next person I'm going to interview. Yeah. And it's really about being responsive to these things for yourself mm-hmm. that allows you to create that flourishing space. Yeah. It's not pursuing success right. or an Instagram perfect yeah. anything yeah Yeah. it's really about like are you pursuing these things that like you said bring that connection to yourself Mm -hmm. and that groundedness and the great thing about it too I think is you know viewing flourishing or wellness not as like a formulaic thing Mm -hmm. it's like you do a b and c and then you're on your way because you can mold it to you as a person so my faith is really important to me so that's a part of my wellness Mm -hmm. Um, it looks different than it did when I was growing up in the Southern Baptist Church Um, and I'm very glad that it looks different now Um, but it's still a part of me so my journey back into church and and my relationship with Jesus is is still a part of that and things that are important to me that may not be important to the next person you interview or that's the beauty of it is that the concoction of like all of the things that each person views as priorities or each person views as grounding things um, can look really different Mm -hmm. and that's something that you're not necessarily told when you're younger Right. right oh yeah I mean I think you're told a certain set of things based on maybe what region you lived in. Yeah, or your, religion. your culture of yeah. some kind. Yeah. I mean, and, and for, for me, it was get good grades in school, meet a good Christian man, become a wife, make a good home, be a good mother, and you'll be happy. Mm. And, and I don't think that that message, certainly it was not my parents' intention to put that cage of um, expectations on me. It, it wasn't meant to be a cage, but it was, mm. and it became very problematic. And um, yeah, it took a while to kind of break, break out of that mold. And I think what you said, something you said earlier at the beginning of this, this part of the conversation was that you didn't feel like you'd found flourishing necessarily that you felt it was a journey that you were on still Mm -hmm. and I think that that's a really important truth too right is this is really flourishing is an intention Mm -hmm. that you might Mm -hmm. you might experience the results of differently in different seasons but I think that it's not a place you reach yeah right it's not there's not an end result of flourishing right (laughs) made it yeah and I, and I think thinking of it that way would do us a disservice, mm-hmm. right? Because it's, yeah. it just doesn't, it's not descriptive of the real experience. Right. Um, but to go backwards, sure. would you tell us, um, and again, choose what detail level you'd like to share, but would you tell us a little bit about what rebuilding flourishing or rebuilding health and wellness in a faith space for you has looked like because you've made decisive actions there yeah to work towards rebuilding that because it wasn't always a safe space yeah so the um you know as i mentioned growing up in a southern baptist um church you know we'd go to church three times a week we'd stay all day Sunday go to Sunday night um, it was like kind of the center of, of our lives and I think for many reasons that was good I mean I would never throw the baby out with the bathwater and just say that was like a horrible way to to um, be brought up because I don't think that at all but I think that um, really starting to learn for myself what it meant that God had already paid the price for my sins that I did not have to carry that burden of oh my gosh every single thing you know as a kid I was taught from the pulpit that in order to pray I had to confess every single one of my sins first I had to get my heart right 
with God, um, all these different things. So really, as you know, a 10-year-old, it was like I'd start to list off all my sins and I'd fall asleep. <laughs> yeah. So I always felt like a failure at praying. Like I never got to pray because I was still listing my sins, you know. Um, and I think that when I entered college and, and, and started that relationship on the basis that this man um, presented himself to be a Christian. I met him at a, a, a Bible study where he was in the worship band. Um, it, it really clouded my idea of what Christianity was. Um, and so for the almost 10 years total that I was in that relationship, I became less and less sure about the truth that I had learned, which was that I'm lovable just because God made me. Um, that was that was almost quite literally beat out of me. Mm. <laughs> um, and I laugh because that's it's just still sh- surreal to, to think about, um, mm. not because it's funny. Um, but I had no trust for men after that um except for my brother and my dad i still trusted them but nobody in the church no man in the church i just could not get over the fact that the person that had been my person and had been a quote christian did all these horrible things um it just didn't add up and so for a long time Years, I could not step foot in a church without having a panic attack. Um, a, a true, I mean, that's, I'm not saying that as a, just a phrase. Like, it started shortly after I moved here, and I could not sit through a church service. I didn't know what a panic attack was. Um, and then I just started having them every time I tried to go to church. Um, and I didn't know why, and it was sad and frustrating and really, like, maddening. Um, but I had a lot of support from my family and my, my friends, and I was allowed to be angry at God. Mm. And I remember one of the phrases that, um, a few of my loved ones would tell me is that he can handle it. Like God can handle your anger and your rage and your unbelief and your frustration and, um, I was in this space where I was looking for, I don't even know what I would say I was looking for within the church, but I was almost out to prove that like it was all a bunch of bullshit. Because if it was all a bunch of bullshit, then I wasn't so stupid for getting suckered into it, Mm. right? If it's not bullshit, then something horrible really happened to me. (laughs) And I had to face that head on. So that was another step towards the goal of flourishing, even though that wasn't a word that was in my mind, but that's truly what it was. And for me, that looked like um, going to church with a safe person every week, somebody that has been by my side all along and would leave with me when I had a panic attack and had to to leave who would sit in the back of the church with me every single week um i i i felt great great comfort from that um and it's just been in the last 12 months that trying every sunday not to go every sunday because there was a time when i just said i just have to take a break like I'm not going to go to church right now. It's too it's too emotionally draining yeah. to do this whole thing every Sunday. So for a, a period of time, I just said, I'm not, just not going to go. And a lot of times I would watch it online. And then COVID happened. So it was almost like this built in, like, oh, now I can watch it from home and not feel like people are disappointed in me or, you know, I that disappointment piece is, is a remnant from you know, childhood and and something I'm still working through. But I think that just by showing up, like, in my own way, and I know for sure by the grace of God, showing up as much as I could until it felt like I was bigger than the threat of another man in the church disappointing me. 
And I feel like I'm finally at that place where I would be okay if the male leadership in my church disappointed me in a huge way. I think I would survive. You would, yeah, you would individually yeah. survive. Whereas before, absolutely not. It would have been like, let me just walk off a cliff because nothing is real. So that's been a big part of coming back to who I am and definitely a, a hard part of the journey of like being well and being connected to myself. I would not, I believe that I would not be here without Jesus Christ. So that's going to be a part of who I am. Mm-hmm. And it, it does feel good to, to be reconnecting with that part even if it feels shaky sometimes. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering then, you know, thinking about this reconnection and reaching back out towards things that have made you feel, I, I don't know what words you just used, but like more stable, more mm-hmm. something that's so in, integral to who yeah. you are. Yeah. Um, as you look forward then toward flourishing, what are ways that you hope to see yourself change and grow? What are areas that you want to pursue flourishing in going forward? I think that there are a lot of things that come to mind really quickly like in a rush mm-hmm. when when I hear that question but if I just like slow down for a second and I just think about what that question really means I think it the answer is going to change and I think like as as right like we were just talking about how flourishing it's not like you've ever arrived but like right now those areas would be my relationships I want to flourish in my relationships. I want to be able to make choices that help me do the things that I want to do. Things that make me feel connected to other people. Things that make me feel connected to nature. Things that make me feel connected to things that matter to me, like music and uh, books and you know my family and my friends. Just That all feels really rich to mm-hmm. me and something that when you're in it, when you're in the middle of it, when you're in fight or flight and you're fighting every second, it's like there's no room to look at the richness of life. You're just like trying to keep your head above water. So I think when I when I think of flourishing, like like walking towards that, it's like continuing on my own health, continuing with my own mental health, making sure that that is healthy and that I'm continually working on it. It's working on my spiritual walk and making sure that that is grounded and um, really like what I believe is actually what I believe and it's true. It's not just something that's been like given to me. Um, And then that authenticity in, in relationships with my family and my friends. That's what it looks like. You know, it's so interesting that you say those things. Because preparing for this podcast, something that I was thinking a lot about were the five dimensions of wellness, Mm -hmm. which is something that we talk about in psychology and in therapy. And what those are, are physical, emotional, spiritual, social, and intellectual. Mm. And literally, you just named all those five (laughs) things. That's so interesting. Yeah, because as I've been thinking about flourishing, Mm -hmm. I've been thinking about how do we how do we touch each of these areas yeah. and how do we are there areas that we're maybe more naturally flourishing in mm-hmm. and that ones we have to work on etc mm-hmm. but really as you were dreaming ahead you were thinking of each of those categories and touching on these are the ways i'd like to lift that category up and you seriously named that's all so, five that's so interesting what are the categories again so physical, which you yeah. mentioned, health, yeah. pursuing health, um, emotional, which yeah. I think would be mental health. Yeah. Similarly, yeah. spiritual, uh-huh. faith walk, social, your relationships, yeah. and intellectual, which I I consider that kind of 
mixed with mental health, but also yeah. like you were saying, like books, and music, books, and music and connecting to the arts, yeah. learning. Yeah. yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah, so I feel like to me that just describes the holistic view that you have of mm. what you're kind of pursuing as you seek growth in yeah. life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that. At no time did that come from my own brain. I mean, that that's working with a really great psychologist for many, many years, like a good therapist, somebody that has given me access to those five parts of myself. You know, when you're in a traumatic situation or you're in an uh, abusive relationship, you know, your parts are all shut down and you're mm. in survival mode. And survival mode becomes life. And... Then when you're in it for so long, you're, I mean, I can't even tell you how many journal entries I have that are like, this must be what life is like as a 25 year old, or this must be what this, this, this must be what being married is like, yeah. you know? Um, and when that all falls away and you have somebody that is a professional that is helping you think through and, and bringing to life those parts of you that you really thought had died, I mean that's a direct um that's a direct link to like what i've learned in therapy yeah that's pretty cool <laughs> yeah it really is so i guess kind of to start to wrap up thinking about the ways in which you have grown the things you have learned what would you look back to that under the dome person and say to them oh man right like <laughs> yeah because you, you know different things now. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really interesting... I think, like, what I would want her to know is that it's going to get harder before it gets better and that it's worth it. That it's it's worth... It's worth um, going through really difficult things to learn how you can be a human being that can experience things like true love, true joy, true happiness, um, being connected to yourself in a way that, that means you're not just in fight or flight all the time. I went from being a vibrant, um, kind of crazy kid getting in trouble and just talking back and like just <laughs> funny to a really shut down um, person and I just thought that's kind of what being an adult was I didn't I didn't have the space to 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 explore like who I really was and so I think too what I would want the that child to know is that like we're still here like she's she's here and I lost her for a long time and it, it always makes me emotional when I'm thinking about that because for so long in therapy it was like the only time I could remember being connected to myself was when I was a teenager or a young child and it was almost like as if my entire 20s had never happened it was just this black hole mm. and while that's still very much like it's I do when I think of my life in a linear fact like it is like the 20 my 20s were just this black like nothingness but the connection now that I have to that child that I really liked I really liked her spunkiness and I liked her quirkiness and it wasn't until she got older and somebody told her that all those things were good mm. and all of those things were not the way you should be that I ever started to care about that mm. So it's pretty cool that um, I feel much more connected to her now than I did even when I thought, like, oh, that's my lifeline. Like, when I was in my 20s, like, oh, I just, I remember I feel so connected to her, but I don't know where she is. Like, this is real connection. Yeah. This is real. I mean, because, of course, she is me. <laughs> yeah. Um, from just a little bit of a different angle before we end, I'm curious, too, knowing what you know about your own flourishing now up to this point, how would you point that that little version of you toward her own flourishing? 
Yeah, I mean, I think if if I were to tell her, I would just say, I mean, this sounds kind of funny, like, even when you were just saying that question, I had this thought of, like, just tell her to fucking do it. Mm. Just do it. Don't get scared and don't don't crumble the first time that somebody gives pushback. Mm. Don't don't give everything up because somebody doesn't like you. Um, just do, like you have a good head on your shoulders. You've been raised while not in a perfect home, in a perfect way, in a loving home. And you've got a good head on your shoulders. And the things that you that are coming to you <laughs> that you will overthink and overanalyze, just don't do it. Mm. Just do what you know in your soul is the right thing to do. And listen to the people around you. Listen to the people who are looking out for you, who are... On not out team. to ruin yourself, you know, <laughs> like who are on your team. Uh, we're not meant to do this world alone. And mm-hmm. I think that it's a lot of people's desire when they're young to like, I'm going to do this my myself. And no, honey, <laughs> don't do that. Oh, precious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's what I would tell her is to just listen to those around you and just stand firm and be strong because you are, you are who you are and that is good enough Mm. and while we will grow and flourish and that's the goal and that's certainly my goal and where I want to continue heading I just didn't know I had it in me Mm. back then so that's what I would tell her I didn't know you had it in you yeah (laughs) any final thoughts (laughs) well this was fun um I have to say it is so interesting being on the asking side of the questions, it's like, it gives me an opportunity to really think through like a lot of what I've learned about living my best life. Cause that's really what flourishing is. It's like whatever living your best life looks like to you, that's the definition of flourishing. And I think that we've all got that feeling inside of us of like what we, what we want for ourselves or what we feel we were destined to be or to do um, and the journey that hopefully gets us close to that or to that is, you know, you're, you flourish along the way. Yep. I can't wait to hear what other people have to say far more eloquently than myself. But <laughs> We're not after <laughs> eloquence here. <laughs> We're after truth. <laughs> That's right. Well, thanks. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for, for joining me. me. Thanks for having me.